Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Puddett. This is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. Hi, Marjorie. Hi. I'm a little nervous. I have a confession. What have you done? (laughs) What do you say? You're Catholic. You were raised Catholic. What do you say? Bless you, Father. Bless you, Father. Father, for I have sinned. For I have sinned. That's it. Okay, thank you. It has been 35 years since my last confession. Mm, Today's Um, the day. Today's the day. I am so, an ordained minister. I'm not a Catholic priest or nun. Yes. So yeah, it's much easier because I can actually see you when you're in the confessional. Like I think everybody, although I think this would be sacrilegious, if you've never been in a confessional, it's kind of cool. I got to say. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. that having been said. So on this podcast, we talk a lot about good food, feeding your kids well. Yeah. So much of the food that's on the shelves is actually just not really food. It's bad for us. So the other day, I was Mm -hmm. at the grocery store. Yeah. And for some inexplicable reason, right in the front of the grocery store, they had Captain Crunch and Crunch Berries with Crunch Berries that were all different colors, not just red ones. (laughs) And I bought the box because that is like my kryptonite. I love really? Captain Crunch and Crunch Berries. We were not allowed to have sugared cereals growing up. When we would visit our grandmother, that was the one thing. She would take us to the grocery store. We could pick any cereal we wanted. That was a very special thing. I would always get Captain Crunch and Crunch Berries. That's nice, though. And um, it made me so sick. Did it? <laughs> it's just, you cannot. It's like, I think about how my little body, I was such a little, like, impish, kind of waifish, waifish child. Like just not in a good way, but just kind of like a crinkled, like malnourished kid. sort of or what? <laughs> little kid. And I just think, how did I eat two bowls of Captain Crunch and Crunch Berries and feel okay? But <laughs> it, in in a way, it was kind of glorious. Are you a Captain Crunch fan? No, I, Captain Crunch rips the hell out of the roof of your mouth and then leaves this <laughs> disgusting film all over your cavity. It's disgusting. Um, I, I am not a Captain Crunch, Crunch fan, but I get I get it because I have some of those things too. Um, and number one, here's what I'm going to say. Number okay. one, I, I do think there is something to the health benefits. There's all sorts of stuff that could be good, better, best. There's stuff mm-hmm. I don't really, I wouldn't consider Captain Crunch a real food. So I will no, say it's that. Not. It's- that being said, When there is this lovely nostalgia and this memory of having it and a beautiful connection to your grandmother. Yes. um, What happens though, is I do think there's something about that experience that overrides the negative effect of whatever the ingredients are, because happiness is a wonderful medicine, feeling joy, feeling connection, feeling love, feeling nostalgia. Those are all really wonderful emotions. So I'm going to justify your Captain Crunch, um, you. even though I think it's gross. And 
um, I'm not surprised that you got a stomach ache because we can't handle these things as we once could. No, we cannot. There My body go. was having real trouble metabolizing that. But it was funny because Ian was like, can I have a bowl? And I was like holding the box. Like, I'm not sure I want to share this because I knew it was going to be like the one time I was going to buy it. And I actually yeah. let him have a little bit of it, which I thought was, was very nice of you. generous of me. And it's probably one of the reasons we've been married for 38 years because 38. I'm selfless, selfless. Yes. Yesterday was our anniversary, Elizabeth, 38 years. Happy anniversary, 38 years. That is incredible. I mean, that is a feat. You know, more than 50% of marriages end in divorce. Yes. Yes. It's, it's insane to think about. 38 years, because when I think of somebody that's been 38, married for 38 years, you picture them like in an assisted living home, you know, <laughs> holding hands while they eat pudding. Um, so <laughs> that is what I think about 38 years. But I am, um, I was thinking about I love it pudding. <laughs> You'll do great. Be a great old person. I do. I'll have another I like, bowl of I even like packaged Swiss Miss pudding. Like I don't. I I think pudding is great. I like okay. a pudding pop, even though Bill Cosby it really ruined the memory of that for me yeah. with his disgusting behavior. But, um, I, you know, I digress. Thirty eight years is a long haul, and so you've titled the podcast "The Long Game" today, and I think that's right. really great. I just had someone ask me how long have I been married, and I said it'll be ten years this fall, and he said, "What's the secret?" Because, you know, and I was like, you just got to make it harder to be apart than it is to stay together. <laughs> he looked at okay, me like, the, oh my gosh. That may be the best answer because there's a nice. lot of truth to that. Mm -hmm. And you and I have talked about like, we're really independent and we can make it on our own. Wouldn't be easy. Being a single mom isn't easy. True. We know it's very hard. And we're not talking about doing that just so in case our spouses listen, we're not talking about being on our own, but, but I love that idea of making it harder. How did you say it? Say it again. It has to be harder to be apart Hard. than it is to stay together. I love that. Harder and more expensive. There you go. Yeah, it definitely would be that. So um, I did title it the long game because I found this definition. That was the first thing that popped into my head. And so I was like, what does long game actually mean? Like when people say that, because it's kind of a cliche when people say, mm -hmm. oh, it's the long game. And so I found this great definition, which really I think is a great definition for keeping a marriage together. It's about doing the small things over time to achieve our goals and be willing to keep at them, even when they seem pointless, boring, or hard. That's great. Isn't that the truth of it, though? Wow. Nice job with the dictionary situation. I Bringing know. that to the table. Isn't it? I mean, I think because so much of marriage is seemingly about the pointless, the boring, and the hard. Yes. I mean, I love being married. And I love I that I've been married to the same person. I mean, honestly, in the deep depths of anger or rage or frustration. Mm -hmm. One of the things that always pops into my mind, as silly as this sounds, because I don't really have like this, like I don't push my kids to have kids. Yeah. I don't like go, oh, I want to be a grandmother or have kids. But yeah. honestly, when things are really hard in the marriage, I think I want to share that moment with Ian. Yeah. It would be really sad if we were divorced <laughs> and like we had to go to a kid's birthday party. And it's like we show up with other people. Very difficult. Like right. that just makes me sad to think right. about. And right. so like it's the long game. It's the long game of doing the things that you can do 
to make sure that you preserve that bond that brought you together in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so I, I found an article from a writer named Colleen Sullivan, and she's got a guide to a happy marriage. And in her introduction, she says something that my therapist actually said to me when I was talking about marriage. And he said, you know, the most important thing you can do is there is going to be 10% of a person that bugs the hell out of you. Okay. Yes. That, and you've got to get good with that. Like, yeah, there is no couple, even though there are some annoying couples that say, oh, we never fight. There's nothing that bothers this person about. I, I think that's not true, mm-hmm. but whatever. I'm not going to mm-hmm. judge you. Right. But my therapist was saying, you know, there's going to be a 10%. So you've got to kind of keep in mind all the time. And the writer actually said the same thing, sort of the 90, 10 rule. Like if he does something that really, really bugs you and consistently bugs you and you don't have the right to tell him to stop doing that, mm-hmm. put it in the 10. Just put okay, it in the 10. Okay, that's good. Yeah, that's a great, that's like yeah. put it in that little 10% bucket. And your problem starts when it starts to be 50-50. Yeah. Or if it's like 60-40. Yeah, if I think you when you have up- little kids, then it's for sure 15 at a minimum. <laughs> I think that's a good addendum. During the child, it should be 80-20. In the child rearing years, especially in the really young. Yeah, I really I I agree. I agree with that. With that. Okay, that's a nice word. This is good. We should be therapists. Yes, we I think be. 80 20 in the toddler years, 80 15, not, uh, 85 15 in the teenage years, 90 yeah. 10 when it's just the two of you. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I think that's good. But that really actually was very helpful because you can I think in any marriage, there are going to be things that your partner does that, that they do that that just bug you. Yeah. And you can't change it because it's a, it's to the, there's a partner right there. Yeah. He walked past. It's to the core. It's to the core of who they are. (laughs) And so I loved that. And I, I, that was really good advice for me and has been very helpful. So we live by the 90, 10 rule here. I think that's amazing. We need to discuss that probably. Like I think uh, Jay and I, who just walked past because he was just finishing something up here, but he, um, what's the 10? Yeah. What is the 10? And being like, I mean, I don't even know if you need to verbalize it to the other person. Here are right. the 10% of things that I'm driving me crazy because the other person probably already knows. Yeah. But if if you verbalize that you're going to have this sort of agreement and this understanding that each of you is going to have this 10% bucket. Right. And then you can just more easily let it go. Like if it's in the 10, then I'm just not going to fight it. But yep. then there's some things that you've got to figure out how to fight and work towards resolution. I just, I find it so interesting when you get to the point that you start to realize that the way that the other person grew up is very different from the way that you grew up in whatever arena and how that can get so tricky to solve. Because when people are like imitating what happened in their family of origin and back to therapy, I mean, this is why they always ask you about your family of origin. People are just subconsciously acting in the way that they were raised to act, it's so hard to get out of that. It's like, it's just very difficult to, to snap out of that if that doesn't work for the other partner. Well, and that's why the book that I talk about constantly by Oprah Winfrey and the doctor whose name I should look up, you always fill it in for me, but um, they talk talk about those neural pathways. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't have to be just trauma that form those neural pathways, it can be, it's, it's your family of origin. It's Mm -hmm. the behavior that you grew up with, that you modeled yourself after that's, that is in your brain as a pathway. Yeah. So to your point, yeah, it's really hard 
if it's a big deal, yeah, you're going to have to talk about it and that person's going to have to work on it. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of those little things that may just bug. And if you can get over them, I mean, we've never verbalized it. I don't even know that I ever said to Ian that my therapist said that. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. it's just what I use. It's a nine right. to 10. And so if something happens, that's a 10. That's a 10. That's a 10. Just don't yeah. Even, but if you both, I mean, if you both thought that, you know, something interesting, I was just talking with my sister who was having like a difference with her husband. Okay. She's got little kids too. And I was telling her this story to try to help her. And then I was like, I'm not a therapist, but I've been to therapy a few times. It's so helpful. Me, it's, <laughs> I can pass it on. But Jay really has struggled with, he, he would love to be more minimalist in our home. And he, and I, and I think I've talked about this a little bit before, but bit. he really, I didn't realize how much stuff bothers him. And my, I didn't grow up like my mom's an interior designer. So there are always like beautiful things everywhere. Right. And I do remember my dad saying when we were growing up, my dad would be like, if your mother brings one more stick of furniture into this house, it's going to collapse onto its right. foundation. <laughs> I mean, this is what he would say. And so she loves beautiful things. And so she's always like working on editing things. Right. And when Jay and then Jay would just get crabby every time I would bring something into the house, like yeah. I would get. Uh, I don't know, like a basket or like I would get a kitchen utensil or like something. And he, it would just, I could see him just physically like reacting to the right. item. Right. And I was so irritated by this because I felt like it was a control thing. I'm like, you don't get to control what I do in my house. You know, this is like my independent feisty spirit coming right. out. Right. You don't get to control what I have in my house. And I'm an adult. I make my own money. I have bought my own things. I've got my own this, da, 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 da. you know, this yeah. is what starts going yeah. on in my mind. Yeah. Which is not good. It's not good. And then finally we had this conversation. I think just instead of having that default irritation reaction, he started to really talk to me about what was going on. And he was just like, when I walk into our home and I feel like there's stuff everywhere, I feel like I can't breathe. I feel like it's just like, I can't breathe. And all I do is just like, look at all the stuff. And I feel like it's so stressful and whatever. And I don't think he grew up in a minimalist household. I think this is just like how he's developed into a person. Right. But so when, interesting. when he, when he told me that I was able to just be a lot more receptive to what was going on and go, okay, now I get like, maybe we can work as a team a little bit more. And when I started to understand that and started to think about it, I kind of got on the same train with him. And I've become a lot more thoughtful about what we bring into the house and what we don't. And my reaction is always to be like, oh, we could add a little table there. We can add a little of this there. And I stop myself from doing that because I understand that it's not about him trying to control me. Right. It's about him trying to preserve his own sanity in our home and how can we work together to make it work for both of us and then I think because he doesn't think that I'm trying to fight against him when I do bring something into the house he knows that it's being done with thought right and so it's and a care. lot more like oh okay what did you get like instead right. of like oh what is this it's really been a fascinating shift and that's coming at a really good time in your life when society pushes us culturally to have more, 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 more with the kids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like there's always that push that you need this. They need this. They should have this. If the amount of clothes that some kids have, the amount oh, of, gosh. and I will say for me, my kids are probably minimal, minimalist because there was a lot of stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And I I read very late in in their lives, like as they were teenagers, I was reading something about, um, it was just some article, I was probably doing show research or something. And the woman was talking about, but this never left me, the woman was talking about how she overcame the need to buy something new or whatever. And what she did is she opened a savings account. Yeah. And every time she saw something she wanted, she didn't buy it, but she put the money in a savings account. And I thought, I wish I had read that when my kids were like four and two. Because if you think about it, like even just think about, oh, we need a table there. But you really didn't. And you didn't buy the table. And what if you put a hundred bucks in a savings account? Like every Mm -hmm. time you did that, all of us, what would we have if if that were the trade-off? Like if you really thought about money in that way, as I've talked about on the podcast, I really had to come to grips with the money that I wasted when we left our house mm-hmm. in St. Paul because we were digging yeah. out of having lived in a home for 12 years to where we raised our kids. And it's like, oh my God, three sets of walkie-talkies, really? Did my kids yeah. ever use the walkie-talkies? But I the know. idea of how cute that would be. Right. You know, with the kids, I just donated a set of walkie talkies to Goodwill. I mean, another set. It's like, what what was I thinking was happening in my house? I mean, honestly, everybody needed to communicate on all the different floors. (laughs) You know, I do think, though, that goes back to what's so much at the core of this podcast is the conversation about living with intention and being intentional. And if you think that if you if you get back to the core of what the intention of the other person is, it's just so much easier to excuse the tough behavior or right. to, to just always take that step back and go, all right, they're reacting this way. Let's just give it a moment to breathe. And then we can probably get to what we're really having a conversation about after right. that. Right. So that's a good one. I think, I don't even know that that's on the list, but we may, we may find that on the list, but I actually think that's going to make really, our own list. Yeah. We will make our own list. I think that's really important because it's about coming it's coming to frustration or anger or somebody else's frustration or anger with love and empathy mm-hmm. and taking a moment to understand why things are happening in the way that they're happening. And that's really hard to do when you have little kids and life is busy is to right. take a breath, like you said, and stop, which kind of leads into one of the ones, the first one on this list that we're referring to is keeping the peace. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're talking about sort of falls into that. It's finding a place of peace with how one person views the world and how you view the world and then finding the place of peace within that. For us, this is such a huge thing. This is such a part of our conversations 38 years later of how we need to live together. Yeah. And when I was younger, my home of origin was chaotic. There was love, there was laughter, there was drama, there was sadness. There was a lot that went in to my upbringing. Yeah. Um, we were rich, we were broke. We were, I mean, we lived on this crazy cycle of like mm-hmm. boom or bust or, you know, it's insane. So there's a lot of chaos. And when I was doing a show, when I was doing the morning show with my husband, we had a therapist on and the book was fascinating. This was life-changing for me. And what he was talking about is that children that are raised in chaos, that represents home because that's all you've ever right. known. It's the familiarity so, factor. Totally. So in my early years and middle years of marriage, if things were going too smoothly, I could be a chaos creator Mm. because that felt familiar. That felt, that felt normal. Too much peace. That was weird to me. And so in talking to this, in talking to that therapist on the air, that was like so fascinating to me is I had already overcome some of that, but I didn't know why I didn't know what I was overcoming. 
Right. Do you know what I mean? I didn't understand the origin of why that was a problem. Mm -hmm. And Ian used to say, you know, you can't use my piece as your canvas. Ooh. And that runs through my head all the time. Is like his piece is not for me. If I'm feeling chaotic, I have to get control of myself and understand where I am, that it's not fair to make that everybody's problem. Yeah. Yes. So I thought yes. that was so that's well, a that's about that's self-regulation. I mean, that's self-regulation right there. And we talk 100%. about that a lot. I mean, it, yes, because I mean, I will say to Jay, like, it's not my job to regulate your emotions. If you're right. having this emotion, you have right. to work it out and figure it out and figure. And, and I think a lot of it's interesting for you that it's the male female dynamic is switched in our yep. in our family. It's different. And I think probably for a lot of families, because I just think a lot of men aren't taught, you know, Ian's a real anomaly, like, but it, to a lot of men aren't taught how to process their emotions other right. than with anger. And so, right. and other than being snippy and crabby, I mean, right. you can talk to plenty of women. I just talked to an older woman who's like, Oh, my husband's old fashioned and crabby, you know, like these guys, it's like, this is what happens when you're not taught how to identify your emotions process them, right. move through them and get comfortable being uncomfortable. You just are in this, like, you're just mad. And so right. it's constantly, and I think, you know, a lot of guys, like they find an outlet in playing a sport or like right. a, right. or a hobby or like something that is like aggression or adrenaline or boom, boom, boom. And right. I really believe that a lot of, I, it's not that I think those, those types of activities are bad because I don't. But I think a lot of men are really attracted to those, maybe more so than women, because they use it as a way to process emotions that are not being processed through their body. And this well, is think, just my my hypothesis. Well, I think they use it particularly. I think it's changing now. Certainly, if you look at shows like Ted Lasso or this, if you haven't watched the Smartless podcast on, you know, the the actual the the road show, um, which is all about male friendship. Right. I think sports is a real way, not only to process emotion, but to find connection mm -hmm. to connect. But yes. I think, you know, I am lucky in the sense that, so Ian was raised a Christian scientist. He is no longer a Christian scientist. And most people don't really understand that religion because, you know, the outline, what people know about it is just sort of, sort of the fringe of it, which yes. sounds very radical to people of, oh, they won't use medicine. And it's so much more complicated and more interesting than that. The Christian scientists that I know, I love because the basis of the religion so much, and forgive me, if you're a Christian scientist, you can feel free to correct me on any of this, but because I really don't know what I'm talking about. But what I have experienced is the religion demands um, a real discipline of the mind. That's yeah. why it's called Christian science. Yeah. So it's very much about writing yourself. Uh-huh. And because that's how he was raised, it, it is in him so deeply. Right. Of that self-regulation of understanding your emotional place and getting it in order, essentially. My aunt, who is a Christian scientist, she's 93. You would want to sit at her feet and talk to her for hours because of her mental strength in just taking responsibility, being happy, being in charge of your own happiness, and moving on. She's incredible. That's and, amazing. 
Yeah, it's a really interesting. I mean, I I won't. I can't go too. Much Are you a deep. missionary for the Christian Society? <laughs> no, but I will tell you, I I just have had such good experiences because of you know so many people in this family were Christian scientists, and I just and 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 I'm I'm meeting people that I adore. So it's and I'm not going to say it's 100 percent the religion, but I do think in 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 Ian's case, you know, for me who has this like very I like who I am, but I am I am impulsive and. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. fiery and independent and can make quick decisions. And it has taken my adult journey has been to figure out how to order my mind. And, and he yeah. grew up with it. And so it's been a very odd pairing in that way and frustrating for both of us because of how, <laughs> because how different we are. Yeah. So, and he's also, That's a man so of, interesting. He's also a man of faith. Right. Which also, but and he's a broadcaster, so yes. so <laughs> that's the things. other thing. I mean, there's just a lot of things about Ian. I mean, because Ian, there's when you talk about Ian, and if our listeners don't know him, Ian is like unlike any other person I've ever met. <laughs> I mean, he is he is really just Ian is. There's just not that many people that I'd be like if the doorbell rings. I mean, this is this is what happened to Jay. I've told this before. Our doorbell <laughs> rang one night, and Jay was like, "Who's at the door?" This is what he was thinking. I wasn't even home. He opened the door. It's Ian. And Jay's like, Ian, come in. You know, it's like, this is what Ian, Ian like transcends boundaries. He, he transcends what you think someone is. He, he, he transcends all of that, which is like so amazing. So it's always, I mean, when we have these conversations, I think that that's helpful for people to know, because okay. I am, I would be like, I'm not married to anyone who is like Ian. <laughs> I'm just not. Well, it's, we've talked about it before and in Christian science, there's something called the still small voice. I love which it. Is, which is what you just, you, when you're really paying attention. Mm -hmm. And so there are things like, I think I remembered when he was dropping by your house and I'm like, did you call them? No, but I just, I'm here. Yeah. I need to see them. Yeah. It's like, okay. It's so nice. <laughs> Okay. The still small voice is really a guiding, like, yeah. this is what happens when we set out to have a conversation and we go off track. But whenever I think about the still small voice, I think it is the still small voice to me is the voice of God. And the voice of God comes through in your own voice. This yeah. is like the biggest thing that I discovered that I never understood because I was raised Lutheran and I was raised to think, I, I think the downside of faith was always, is, is always something that I just have deeply instilled into me. Okay. So that's a real positive. The downside is that the way that faith was often communicated was as everything being very far away, heaven being right. very far away, God being very far right. away, Jesus being very far away. And so right. when I started to make the shift in my own understanding and this is, again, this is only for my journey. Right. If this helps you, great. If this is not in line with how you believe, you, there is no shame in that game in, in any way. But when I started to understand that it was so much closer than I thought was, was a real turning point for me. And a lot of that came from when you named the still small voice and I could start to go, because I'd had so many experiences with that voice, right. but I never thought of it as God. I thought of it as just like myself. And, but when you understand that God comes through you, when I understood that it was such a significant shift for me because I was able to feel so much more solid in those nudges that the still small voice right. was giving me that it wasn't just like 
me kind of going, oh, is that how it is? It, it, it's the voice of God sounds to me like my own voice. Right. And it's just, it's just usually like a slow cadence and a repeat. Right. Like when I heard it on a mountaintop in Switzerland with a former fiance and it was, you cannot marry him. You cannot marry him. You cannot marry. It was my voice in my brain. And that was what I heard on the mountaintop. I will never forget it as long as I live. And it wasn't a booming voice of God. You cannot marry. You know, it wasn't like come to the top of the mountain. But there was no flaming bush. There was no flaming bush on the mountain. It was really lovely. Right. But it was the voice. And that was, and then I just, when you listen to it, then I just kept following the signs. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it is as cliche as this is, it's, it's faith as a verb, as opposed to a noun every day it's active. It's, and I think that, well, I think many times people are uncomfortable about talking about religion. And certainly I think, because a a lot of times when people talk about my personal relationship with Jesus or my personal relationship with God, people can be uncomfortable because they feel like it's evangelical or trying to proselytize or you're trying to, and we're not doing that at all. I would say, having been raised a Catholic, and I think we've touched on this before when we when we had the episode and we were talking about the still small voice, but I mean, mm-hmm. I was raised a Catholic, very similar to you as a Lutheran, that my relationship with God was filtered through my nuns, through my parish priest, through the Pope, and then there's God. So it's a lot of layers of 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 religion to get to a sense of spirituality. Now, I loved growing up Catholic. I did. My Catholic experience, I loved my nuns. My Catholic mm-hmm. experience was wonderful. When I fell away from the Catholic Church and sort of an understanding of feeling safe, feeling whole, feeling like I am in the hands of God, that has made an enormous difference to me. Right. But that right. that took me a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a long and it was very difficult to be to be married to somebody who had such deep faith in times of real struggle, because he would be fine. He'd be completely optimistic. I'm like, we are so broke. We cannot afford to go to a movie. How are you happy in this yeah. scenario? Like, yeah, because we're going to be fine. Yeah. How do you know that? It's so frustrating. Like to see somebody just know that he was in God's care. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And now I know, I know that I know I am, I will always be fine. I will always be fine. Right. But how that looks, it sort of reminds me of the conversation we had with Steve, who your, your former partner on Twin Cities Live, who was talking, he was talking about leaving his very secure partnership with you. Yeah. Walking away from a paycheck. He divorced me. (laughs) He divorced you, divorcing you. That's right. And walking away from a paycheck and in that conversation, it's a great episode. If you want to go, if you're at a point in your life where you feel a little bit afraid and he said, he just felt so strongly <clears throat> that he was cared for. Yeah. And that no matter the decision, it's an earthly decision. He was going to be okay mm-hmm. because it was a decision that they came to listening to the still small voice or whatever language he used, it, communicating with his wife and his family, mm-hmm. being very clear about that. It was not an impulsive decision. No. So it, it is interesting, but that has been, this all goes back to keep the peace, but keep the peace, keep the peace, keep the peace. And I think, um, I think that's a, that's a big deal in any long-term marriage or relationship. Oh, I totally and, agree. And I almost think we've gotten through one of them on the list. I know this is going to, 
Just to recap everybody, Marjorie <laughs> brought to us a list. She said, Hey, okay. So I've got this list of things that can help keep your marriage. If you've been married for more than 25 years, Ian and right. I, we just celebrated 38 years. So I thought we could talk about on this, this on the podcast. And I was like, great, this is awesome. And then in true fashion, we don't even get through the list. We use these things as like a jumping off yeah. point though. We should do a part two. Let's continue this conversation. Yeah. But can I just tell you that last week in our podcast, I got so many messages from nesters. You nesters, oh. I love you so much. And you send me the best DMs. I mean, I they send me such long messages, which really, I, I share these stories. Number one, because I love Marjorie and I love our relationship and I love our connection. Number two, because I want people who listen to feel less alone. And then what I didn't expect out of this podcast was that then I in turn was going to feel so much less alone because I wasn't doing it so that I felt less alone. I was doing it. So other people felt less alone. And then when I get these messages who are like, I'm in your same spot, I heard this and I felt the same way. I finally felt like I was understood and much to my husband's credit. I mean, Jay doesn't listen to the podcast, but he has never once he knows that I talk about things that are personal in our relationship and our family. And never once has he said, you can't talk about that. If he listened, maybe he would <laughs> say that. Let's but he, not encourage, don't encourage, yeah, let's not encourage it, but it's just like that freedom to be able to yeah. have those vulnerable conversations. But I will say when we were talking about that pain point, going back to Steve, cause Steve, we've talked to uh, Steve was really instrumental in me looking at that pain point in my life. What's the pain point? And then figuring out just how to fix that. If you're feeling like really overwhelmed. And that's what we talked about with Sunday nights, that Sunday nights were a living nightmare in my house, that they were so terrible. And so we started booking a babysitter on Sunday nights. And let me tell you, it was like life-changing. And I will be perfectly honest that the first Sunday night I almost ruined because I was annoyed that Jay was coming home. We were supposed to go on this date. He was running late from running other errands. And I was like, you're not even prioritizing this. Why are we even Uh doing this? And then I started to go, I don't even want to go. You go do whatever and I'll go do my own thing. Can you imagine this, Marjorie? I'm sure you can imagine me saying this. 100%. And did you say those things out loud? Oh yeah. I wrote them in a text message. hundred percent. There's, there's proof that I said Mm -hmm. them. I said that. And then Jay said, no, we really need this time together. And so he came home, we went, we had a really nice dinner. And then we went um, and had a drink outside. After that, we sat outside on a patio. It was lovely. And it was so great. And what I was so delighted by was like looking at the pain point of the worst part of the week And using that as an opportunity to turn it into something great, which totally happened. Now, I also understand there's resources that are involved because we had to pay a babysitter. We paid to go out to dinner. We did these things that, so I will acknowledge that. That being said though, we kind of have that built in to our regular life that we're going to have a date night. We're going to have it, but it's using it to alleviate the pain point, um, made a big difference and and we had a great time. So I love that. And to, to your point about resources, we did get, and I was going to, this is going to be an episode. We did get a review on our Apple reviews about how, and I won't go into too much detail because she actually, it was a critique, but it was done quite thoughtfully mm-hmm. about how this is a podcast between two women who have great resources. So for sure. if you don't, this will be tough for you to listen to. I want to read that at some point and talk about that just because I so respect the woman who wrote it and how she wrote it. She, I, I, I think if I looked at it, I have to look at it more carefully. I think she's a single mom. I get yeah. that. So to the point about resources, you're right. Babysitters can be expensive. 
I will say I had a lot of friends when my kids were little, didn't have quick resources to drop when I was raising kids, maybe 50 bucks for a babysitter. But what they would do, and this is this is what anybody can do, is this is where if you need more resources, it really pays to join other communities. I mean, there are ways that you can find resources that won't cost you as much as a babysitter will. And I think for sure. if, if sometimes we can only talk about the lives we've led and that we lead. But I think it's a it's a it'll be a good discussion in an upcoming podcast. Um, so I can't apologize for my life. Um, you know, she actually the 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 bigger critique was for me because she said, if you listen to the older one, um, which that's me, um, you would get the impression that her children loved cleaning and um only ate gourmet food, which I thought was kind of funny because I have literally talked about on the podcast. So for many years, the kids' dinner was I threw everything into a blender, but because yeah. I would make smoothies and yeah. and so I actually read cooking that. isn't. I remember you almost set your apartment on fire making apple something one time. Yeah, not my strength, but I also understand what she's responding to. Mm-hmm. But I can only talk about my life as I I lived it. Right. But there's more to the there's more to that um, critique that I so value mostly in the way that she verbalized it to other listeners. I thought Mm -hmm. she showed a great amount of grace. And so we'll get to that at some point uh, for a show. Um, But to your point, I'm so glad to hear that about the Sunday babysitter, because even in this list that we were going through, one of the things they said was make sure that you have date nights. Yeah. But I thought this was really funny. In the piece, it said she and her husband would always stay out long enough to make sure that the kids were already in bed. Always. Yeah, which I love that idea so that they didn't come home and immediately fall back into mom and dad. There's no point in having a babysitter if you don't have them put the kids to bed. You so need you to do come that home. too? Oh, yes. Okay, that's like, really interesting. And then I, sometimes I'll have the babysitter text me when they're in bed and then what? we'll come home after that. I love for that. sure. Oh, yeah, that's great. Because I, if you're going to spend the money on having a babysitter, right? It, you need to have them do the bedtime and right. then you can come home and it's quiet charge and all of, and all of those things, you know, right. I think you're right. And as always with this, you know, do whenever you're listening, when you're listening to this or when you're listening to something else, I'll just give everyone some unsolicited advice, uh, unsolicited advice. You it. take, take what works for you and let the rest go. Right. Because there is no reason. There's so much content out there. There's just no reason to constantly be fighting back against what someone else says. Take what works for you and let it go because the only thing that's doing is just like igniting this, this feeling inside of you. And this is something I've certainly had to learn over the years of receiving just so much um, public feedback on me and my life and all of the things. And the energy expenditure that happens in trying to fight back against what somebody else says, or you don't understand, well, you're saying this, but you're not understanding my point of view. I mean, I'm just like you guys, when I listen to podcasts, I talk back to them. I'm like, yeah, but what about this? Blah, blah, blah. You know, I like, I mean, having, I feel like I'm in the conversation and then I can say those things and then just let it go because you're right. No one else has lived your life. We will always, we will always be in a situation where you could say, um, somebody else has had it harder. I broke my ankle, but you broke your leg. It's that, that constant, you could, it could be worse is a really quick way of just shutting down dialogue. And I don't, 
I don't like that. I like right. to, I think dialogue's important. I think having conversations is important. I think it's how we learn. I do too. I do too. And that's what I so appreciated about how she wrote. That's great. And I wasn't yeah. expecting to talk about that today, but that's why I so appreciated how she wrote it because it was not, she was expressing herself without really trying to shut it down. Yeah. And great. it was kind of open, but it was still criticism. I mean, it was, yeah. it was criticism, which is, which is totally fine. And we can, we can take it. We can take it, but, um, but we will, this was part one. Okay. I think there were 10 or 11 little um, sort of ideas about how to have a happy long-term marriage. Okay, and we're not going to we do 11 episodes on this. We did. <laughs> I'm just telling you. We could. As your co-host. <laughs> as your equal. You are my equal. Not doing 11. We'll just do a part one. But there were some other interesting points that the writer brings up. So I think it could be an easy part two. So we'll do part one, part two, not 11 episodes. about. In this. the meantime, then, yes, if you um, if you nesters are listening and you want to pipe in with Ooh. some things that you think are really the key to the long game when it comes to a marriage. Oh, I love that. Um, send, you know, send me a DM on Instagram, send best to the nest, a DM on Instagram. I'll check those. Yeah, and, um, and then we can add those in to our part two. Yeah. I love that idea. That's a great idea. Okay. So great. if you are enjoying this pod podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at best to the nest. We are the podcast that brings you home.